Amen. The name of Jesus is above every name. There's no name that can be named that is not under his feet. And so this morning as we gather, I want to remember that. Whatever you're going through, whatever struggle or difficulty you're going through, the name of Jesus is above that. Pray with me. Father, we gather today in the name of Jesus, our Lord, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, the sinless one, the crucified one, the resurrected one, the one who's ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father, the one who will return and receive his people. Oh, Jesus, we love you. We ask you to speak to us through the Holy Spirit and through your word. And those who are grieving this morning, we pray that you would touch them and give them your comfort. Comfort beyond the ability of any human being other than you. For those who are sinning, we ask that you would gently correct them, O God, and call them to yourself. For those who are struggling, walk beside them. Put your arm around them, help them to know your presence and draw us close to you. Open our hearts, open the eyes of our heart, our understanding and the spirit realm so that we might perceive and rightly know you and worship you. We commit this time to you and we ask that you again, you would speak to us in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here this morning. I'm going to... Look in Jeremiah, the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, and uh, I'll read verses 1 through 9 in the New American Standard translation. And while you're looking that up, and while uh, I want to take just a moment to say a couple of things. First of all, I want to say thank you for all of you who have prayed, all of you who pray with Debbie and I and our family in regard to our grandson Brady and the uh, leukemia treatments he's receiving. Thank you for all. He called me last night at uh, almost 11 o'clock to say, Paul, please tell the ladies at your church, thank you for sending me so many cards. So I just, that blessed my heart. I wanted to tell you thank you. And those of you who've, who've just been praying and, and keeping up with that, I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Um, second thing I want to tell you is that uh, I want to ask you to be careful. The COVID has not gone away. It doesn't matter whether you feel like it should have gone away. That really is immaterial to anybody except you. I'm sorry you feel that way. I feel that way too. I'm sick and tired of not being able to hug people and all the other things, but I'm telling you, the outbreak that's now coming is a bounce back. I heard this morning, I haven't validated it, I haven't uh, checked, verified it, but I heard that both Brady's and La Coretta and Hammond had shut down because of outbreaks in the restaurant. I heard that Paul Taylor's church had shut down because of an outbreak at Pine Grove. I know that Jeremy Glasscock's church opened up one day and the outbreak on that day caused them to shut back down. So I'm asking you, please, I'm asking you as your pastor, as your friend, please, 
whether you think this is, you know, just overblown or, or what, whatever you think about it, respect and love other people and do your best to keep yourself safe from that. Uh, and, and you may not, I understand a lot of the younger people are not having any effect very much of it. You may not have an effect. But if you give it to me, I could die. I have no immunity in my lungs. If you give it to my wife, I will get it. If you give it to me, she will get it. Neither one is having immunity. And furthermore, we couldn't see our grandson because if we get a cold, we can't be around him with the leukemia treatments. Be careful. I'm, I'm enjoying being together so much. I don't want us to have to go backwards and have to close down and go back totally online. Do you? This would mean no. This would mean, yeah, I think that would be cool. No. So I'm just saying that. It's so hard to not get close. But I want to ask you as a friend and a brother and sister in Christ, stay eight or ten feet away from me because I'm that susceptible. Most of the, most of the times I've had pneumonia, bronchitis, I caught it at church from somebody that had it, that came anyway. If you're sick, watch us online. Pray for us. We love you, but stay at home and don't bring sickness to us while we're here. And uh, if you see me do this while you're trying to talk to me, that means you've gotten a little too close. I'm trying to be nice. All right, now you should find, you should have found this um, passage of scripture in your Bible now. But you were listening to me, so you didn't get a chance to. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 9. Today is Father's Day. And I'm not preaching a message primarily on fathers, but there are points in this message that apply specifically to fathers. I was reminiscing, and we, we did ask online, I've not been able to do it yet because my phone is so smart that it chooses which pictures I should be able to see. Uh, and uh, I wanted to post a picture of my dad online. I will, I will find that picture and take it again, uh, a picture of a picture. We've asked you, you know, if you have a picture and you can put it online on our Facebook page and honor your father, that'd be a good thing. Um, Jeremiah's father was involved in Jeremiah's life, and I want us to read that. Verse 1, the words of Jeremiah, the son of, let me put my glasses on. That's one of those names that I just say H, Hilkiah. Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon. Now think with me for a moment. Who is Josiah? Bible scholars, Josiah was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah who became king. His father was wicked, but he became king at high, what, what's the age of Josiah when he was made king? Eight years old. He was eight years old. And so Jeremiah began to prophesy during the reign of Josiah. And in fact, the Bible's very specific. It was in the 13th year of Josiah's reign 
So if I, if I read that correctly, 13 plus 8 equals, did y'all fail math? 21. So the king was 21, and Jeremiah the prophet was somewhere probably 13, 15 years old. Don't really know. We know he was very young. He was very young. And even after Josiah died, God's word came to and through Jeremiah in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, until the exile of Jerusalem in the fifth month. His ministry lasted 45, 50 years, somewhere in that neighborhood. He lived during cataclysmic changes. He lived during a period where the world powers, the superpowers of the earth were, were colliding and fighting for territory and fighting for dominance. Assyria had already taken the northern kingdom and deported them. Babylon was rising up as a rival of Syria. And over here was Egypt who had exerted a dominance over, over Judah and, and, and Israel for years. And there were some very, very important world history battles that happened. One of those was called the Battle of Carchemish. Some of you scholars, some of you history buffs can look that up. During that time there was intrigue. Betrayals, assassinations in the political structure of Judah. The moral life, the spiritual life of Judah, that nation, had declined to the point. I want you to remember this. God is merciful and God is patient. Judah and Israel had been rejecting God all the way back for Hundreds of years to the time he brought them and rescued them, heard their cry, rescued them out of Egypt. And they constantly were hardening their heart and be going after idols and disobeying God. And he sent them prophet after prophet, judge after judge, hero after hero, Samson, Samuel. He sent them David the king and a whole list of kings. But now hundreds of years have passed. And their hearts are still hard-hearted. You know what the Bible says about a hard-hearted person? We need to take this to our heart. He that hardens his heart will be broken suddenly. And I'm adding this, and it'll be, it'll be bad. If you harden your heart after God, you may go a long period of time with God's patience and His mercy, but eventually... Eventually, a hard heart will be crushed. And so God is, allow, is calling Jeremiah to serve during the cataclysmic events of this nation to the point that it becomes an extinct nation. Because when Zedekiah was taken into captivity, the Babylonians came and Judah ceased to be a nation.
Look at verse 4, the call of Jeremiah. Now the word of the Lord came to me. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you, or I set you apart. I designated your life for my purposes, and I set you apart for those purposes. Called you my own. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And then I said... Now, do we have any 13-year-olds in here this morning? Got one here. Any 15-year-olds? No 15-year-olds? There's one. So if God, if God spoke to you and said, I've called you before you were born, I've called you to be a prophet, what might you say? You might say what Jeremiah said. Lord, uh, alas, we don't use that word alas very much, do we? When's the last time you used that word? Like never? It was more like, Whoa, wait, wait a minute, Lord. Lord God, look at me. I don't know how to speak. I'm a youth. Well, the truth is you do speak a lot. Right? Just depends on who you're around. Had a nephew who was, uh, and Jason, if you're watching this, I'm talking about you. Had a nephew who was very, 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 very quiet. But if you ever got him around some of his friends, he could talk for a while. God, I, I don't know what to say. I, I'm just a kid. Are you kidding me? You want, you want me to do this? And the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth because everywhere I send you, What? Say it. Say it louder. Everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. All right, so here's a key word. If you're Jeremiah, you're beginning to pick up right now. I'm already feeling inadequate. God, have you noticed those people out there? They don't like you too much. They've rejected you. They're worshiping idols. They've turned against you, and you're sending me to speak to them? I'm scared to death. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. But if I get delivered, that means I'm in a pot of trouble somewhere, declares the Lord. And then... The Lord. See those all caps? It's the word Yahweh. Combined with Elohim. And all, it's, it's the word where God self-identified himself. It was the word that God said, don't take my name in vain. And the Hebrews would not pronounce the word Yahweh. And so when we translate it, we give that, this is the highest this is God the Lord. The God the Lord stretched out his hand. Have you read that anywhere else in Scripture? Anybody about stretching out their hand? Seems to me there was a leper one day came up to Jesus. 
Remember that story? And he said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I'm willing to be clean. Another man had a withered arm and Jesus stretched out his hand. God stretched out his hand and touched Jeremiah's mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I've put my words in your mouth. It's my intention as the Lord leads me to preach through portions of Jeremiah because I believe a lot that's said in Jeremiah has much to do with the world we're living in today. The times that we're living in are unparalleled in my life. I saw riots in the 60s. I saw racial tension. I saw murders. Didn't personally see them up close, but we saw those events unfold. But there is something deeper happening in this world. There is something much more sinister that is surfacing in this world. We're living in critical and crisis type changes. It comforts me to know, and I want you to get this, that number one, God is never ever, ever taken by surprise. You ever thought about that? My goodness, Debbie and I were, and our family were surprised when we were speechless when Brady was diagnosed with leukemia. Here's this healthy, strong athlete. And like that is this weak kid. But my God was not surprised. I want you to hear me. No matter what comes up in your life or what comes up in this world or what changes we may face in our generation or what challenges or crises we may go through, our God is never caught by surprise. God has always got a plan. And He's always working to His end. To accomplish his purposes. The Bible says the wicked will soon vanish. They'll, they'll dry up and disappear like, like weeds in the summer. Like smoke from a fire. But those who trust in the Lord will last and they will stand and they will inherit the land. Our God is not paralyzed. Our God is not powerless. Our God is not blind to be surprised. And usually when God has a plan, His plans involve His people. And very often His plans involve specific people. And in this case, here's God. Now, what does He do? Well, He, he has this young man. In, in Israel at 12, you were considered a man. My, how the times have changed. At 12, you could take on responsibility 
Because you, you typically, unless you didn't have a father, unless your father died or, 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 or something happened to him, your father trained you to work. Your father trained you to worship. Your father trained you to be responsible, to be honest, to have integrity, to honor the Lord. And so Jeremiah didn't just come on the scenes out of a vacuum. The Bible says he lived in Anathos. And, and he was the son of a specific man. Now that's all I know in the Bible that it says about this man. But when I look at Jeremiah, I see something about his dad there. Jeremiah was listening to God. Jeremiah was living for the Lord. And so one of the things it tells me is that his father was in the priestly clan or the priestly caste in that city... And his father apparently had invested in him. Now, fathers, this is pretty much all I want to say about Father's Day. You and I live in, 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 in cataclysmic, world-clashing times, value-clashing. And if you prepared your son to make money, to have a fine home, and to drive a nice car, and to get everything better than everybody else, and you've done that for them, but you have failed to teach them to listen to God, and to honor God, and walk with God, you haven't done your job. And we as Christians in America need to stop and back up and think about how we have taken on the world's value systems. That doesn't mean you don't teach them how to work and how to have a good job, have a good education, how to be a hero in sports or whatever. But it means above all that, we have to teach them to listen to God, to know God, to personally interact with Him so that when God begins to work out His plan in their lives, they can hear God had a plan for Israel, and he had a plan for Jeremiah. Let's look at that plan for Jeremiah. First of all, the calling of God. We don't know how old Jeremiah was. We assume he was 13, he was 15, he was 14, maybe 16, somewhere in that neighborhood. Week before last, I started, I began my 50th year of preaching ministry. I started when I was 17. Now, I haven't completed my 50th. If you're gracious and God is gracious, a year from now I'll, I will have completed 50 years. I hope God gives me that. In fact, I hope he gives me 40 more years to preach his word. I remember having all those thoughts when I thought God was calling me. God, I'm just a kid. I'm just a nobody. I, I'm, I'm a country boy from East Alabama. I, this isn't, I, I don't want to do that. How could you use me? Jeremiah, the Lord said, God said, I got a plan. And he said this, before I formed you in the womb, now we need to hear this. God is saying, Jeremiah, like a potter takes clay 
and forms it and shapes it and molds it. Seems like that is later in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 18, in, in fact. Jeremiah, I did that in your life. I formed you in the womb. Before I did that, before I, I fashioned you, I formed you, I helped to develop your personality, I put together this chromosome and that chromosome and I mixed, and the particular mixture that came together to make you who you are, that's not an accident. I created you. I did that. I made you to be you. It's interesting to me that before Moses delivered the people of Israel, when God was calling him, what did the devil do? He stirred up the powers, the political powers, to kill the babies of Israel because there was a Savior there. And before Jesus... When Jesus was born, what did the devil do? He stirred up Pharaoh and he killed all the children under two years of age in that area where Jesus had come. But God protected Moses and he protected Jesus because he had parents that listened to God. Makes me wonder, what plans does God have that the political powers of our world say it's okay to kill the unborn? that the babies that God are shaping in the womb, but it's okay to murder them. And I say this again, and if you're watching on Facebook or on television, on YouTube or, or here or anywhere, if you want to say that black lives matter or white lives matter, you need to deal with the reality that the biggest single killer of black lives and white lives is abortion. And when you build with that truth, the rest of the world will begin to look at you and say, maybe he's got a point there. Before I formed you in the womb, I what? I knew you. You know what the Bible says of us? It says God knew us. Before the foundation of the world, God had a plan, and he had a plan for your life. And my life, before I formed you, I knew you. And before you were born, I chose you and consecrated you and dedicated you for my purposes. And I appointed you. And so when, when Jeremiah hears God speaking to him and Jeremiah hears the voice of God say, Jeremiah, you are mine. I want you to do this. This is how I want you to spend your life. God's plan for Jeremiah didn't start then. It started way back at the beginning before the foundations of the earth was created. We are not here by accident. I knew you, I formed you, I set you apart, I appointed you, and now I am calling you and I am sending you. And Jeremiah said, Lord, I'm young. I, I don't know how to speak. 
And I remember what God said to Moses when he tried that one out. What did God say to Moses? Anybody remember? Moses? Actually, Moses said, I got a heavy lip. Translated usually means I'm a stutterer. I have a speech impediment. Don't know if Moses had one or if he got one about the time God called him. What did God say to Moses? Moses, who, who formed your mouth? You got any more excuses? Let me ask you a question. What's your excuse for not witnessing when God calls you to do that? I, I don't know what to say. I can't talk to people. Those are my excuses for not preaching. You know, if it were dependent on you, but it's not. It's not. It's not dependent on you. It's dependent on God who shaped you. What we have to do is learn to obey Him. Jeremiah. God says, this is my plan. So do not say, I'm just a youth. Now the question after Moses, I mean, Jeremiah gave his reasons why he shouldn't be the one sent, and God gave him the reasons he was. And what was the reasons that he was? At the, at the bottom of the, at the base, what was the reason? Because God said, I formed you, I made you, I created you, you belong to me, and this is what I formed you to do. Now go and do it. Listen, God equips. When God calls, he equips. He touched his mouth. When Isaiah said, I, woe is me, I'm undone, and the burden of the Lord for his people came upon him. God, he said, I'm, I'm unclean, and I dwell among people of an unclean lip. That means their speech, their language is not clean in God's eyes. We're wicked. And God sent, and he picked the coal from the altar, the heavenly altar, and he did what? He touched his lips, and he said, I've cleansed your lips, and I've cleansed you, I've made you whole. Now, who will go for me? And Isaiah said, send me, Lord. I want you to hear me. Do you know what a tilting point is? A tilting point is that point where things balance. I'm not very good at that, am I? Maybe I'll call you up and ask you to help me. I found the, I found the point, the center point. And if, if, if something's too heavy on one end, it'll fall and crash and you won't have the center. The, the center of not necessarily the center of the length, but the center of the weight and the balance creates a, a point. And that point is a place where things tilt one way or the other. When you understand, 
when you understand who you are and what God says about you and your life and me and my life, there's a new tilting point. You see, our culture says it's all about you. Life is about you. You deserve. You deserve the best. You deserve. Well, I don't know. If I got what I deserved, it might not be the best. I got a lot of things I didn't earn, didn't work for. And, and our world says you are the center of the universe. You can decide what truth is true for you. You can decide what you want to be and become that. Now, there is a truth, and I want you to hear me this. There is a truth that God has equipped you with a mind and a, and a heart and a passion and a will. And if it depends on you and you're willing to sacrifice for it and you live in a place like America where anybody can rise above anything if they want to. And if they're willing to apply themselves to. You can accomplish a lot in your human nature. But, but when you realize, and when I realize that my life does not belong to me. My life belongs to Him. By right of creation, He created me. And what the Bible says about Jeremiah, before I, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You can find the truth is true for us. And that's where I kind of want to go with this and finish up this morning. Let me give you, let me give you that truth. Jeremiah 1, 4 through 9, God called him. Jeremiah gave his reasons why it, it, was a, it was a bad call. At least he got to argue his case, unlike the saints. They didn't get to argue their case about the bad call, did they? And then God said, no, here's the truth. I formed you, I fashioned you, I set you apart, I called you, and now I'm appointing you and I'm sending you. You are mine. When you come to understand that you no longer belong to yourself, but you belong to the God who created you, it's a tilting point in your life. It's a new tilting point. It becomes a new center of gravity. Until that point, the center of gravity in your life is yourself or whoever you serve. But when you come to understand that God gave you the life, He shaped you, He formed you, He, he, he created you to be the, the you that you are, and to have eternal life through His Son Christ, and you surrender your life to Him, and you recognize His ownership of you, you get a new tilting point. But if you don't, you might do what I just did. You can leave it there. It's going to be there when I get through. If it rings, you might want to answer it. Let's talk about you and I. Does any of this apply to us? Well, I believe biblically it does. <clears throat> the things that we can gather out of this is that God has a plan for your life you say but I've never heard God say that I've never heard God tell me I was created for this purpose or that purpose Romans 8 29 and 30 y'all turn there to that
This is talking about Christ followers. If you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, if you are a person who's accepted Christ as your Savior and surrendered your life to Him, this is true of you for those whom He, what's that word? Foreknew. All right, so what did He say to Jeremiah? Before I formed you, I knew you. For those He foreknew, He also predestined, that is, He predetermined to become conformed to the image of His Son so that Jesus, He, Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these He predestined, He also called, and those He called, He has justified, and those He's justified, He also glorified. So then what shall we say to these things if God is for us? He's against us. Now you know what verse 28 says, that's the one you quote, but you don't quote this one. 28 says, we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. And we usually interpret that from a center point that is based on self, a tilting point of self. That no matter what what happens in life, God's going to work it out for my good. No, He's going to work it out for His purposes, and His purposes are your good. Before I knew you, I formed you. And I consecrated you. I predetermined that you would be this. You would become like Jesus. And I justified you and I redeemed you and I called you and I'm glorifying. In Christ, I'll glorify you. God causes all things to work together for your good, not for your selfish pursuits, but for His purposes in your life. God has a plan for your life. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Somebody can quote that by memory, can't you? By, by what? By grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest anyone could boast. You are God's workmanship. Verse 10. We are His workmanship. This is a time to look to your neighbor and point to him and say, you're God's workmanship. In other words, God has a plan. He's got a plan for your life. You are created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared when? What does beforehand mean? God has a plan for your life. God has specific plans. God has a plan that is specific. He shaped and formed you for His purposes and His work. And you can spend your life serving yourself and never find real contentment until you say to the potter, here am I, shape me. Shape me, use me, send me. I am yours. God has a plan. God equips. <clears throat> we usually say what kind of the same things that Jeremiah says, but but I don't I, I I can't do anything. Well, look at the New Testament, 1 Corinthians. Turn there with me. I'm almost finished for the day. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. Turn there. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5. For the love of Christ, verse 14, the love of Christ controls us, have concluding this, that if one died for all, that's Jesus, died for us, therefore in him all died, and he who died for all, he died for all so that, so that, y'all read that out loud? Y'all did take English. So that they who live might, can you, can you say that out a little louder? Tell your neighbor, you're not supposed to be living for yourself. And neither am I. We might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. So to the degree that Jeremiah's call lines up with this New Testament principle, now, God had a specific purpose for Jeremiah. He might not call you to be that prophet, but he might. He may not call you to be the preacher, but he might. We teach kids to ask the wrong questions. We teach them to ask, what do you want to do with your life? Where do you want to spend your life? How much money do you want to make? Find a career field that fits you. When we ought to be teaching kids and every person, what is God's plan for your life? What does God want you to do with your life? What is God calling you to do? It is a call of God to be a nurse. How else could I or anybody go in and treat patients knowing you're going to get the disease quite possibly? It is a call from God to teach school. <clears throat> It can be a call from God to do any kind of, of God-honoring work because our work provides us a platform for us to serve Christ. You say, Brother Gary, I, I just feel so stinking inadequate. Well, I understand that. Believe me. I do. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 says, and 6, 3, 5, and 6. I'm let them put that up there because I want you to read this. I want you to see this. I want God to imprint it on your heart. <coughs> Paul is talking to the Corinthians and they're saying, we're not adequate. We're we don't know how to do all that. Paul says we're not adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. First time I tried to preach, folks, I stuttered and stammered and took 12 minutes and two people got saved. My wife thinks probably I should preach 12 minutes every Sunday maybe more people come to Christ. Actually, my wife's not that small she's so wonderful in her love for me and our church and God 
We're not adequate in ourselves, is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is where? I want you to say this out loud with me. My adequacy is not from me, but it's from God. Verse 6, who also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. How does God make us adequate? Through the Spirit of God and His work in us. So if it's true that God has a plan for Jeremiah and he has a plan for you and for me, then what's my part? And this is where I want you to nail down. I'm finishing up and landing this plane this morning. My part is number one, to seek after God and to surrender my life to him. If you've never accepted Christ, if you've never given your life to Him, if all you know is just church attendance, but you don't know the reality of the Savior in your heart who changes everything, the first, first step is to surrender your life to Him and seek Him. The second step is to seek Him and listen. Listen. I thank God I had a pastor that taught me when I was 14, 15 years old, what I'm trying to teach you. Your life doesn't belong to you. God's got a plan for your life. He's got a place for you, young people, teenagers. Yeah, I'm talking to you. God has a plan for each of your lives that nobody else can fulfill. Just you. It's tailor-made. He fashioned you. Old people like me. God still has a plan for our lives. Will you this morning say, Lord, here am I. I want to know what you want to do in my life. I want to tell you, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. God, what do you want to do in my life? Show me what you want to do in my life. And then I helped him out as much as I could. I figured, Lord, it probably, you probably want me to be a coach after I get through with an illustrious career in football somewhere right I'm so glad God didn't listen to that I have pain every day of my life from football injuries I can't imagine having another four to eight years of that God what do you want to do in my life surrender and seek and thirdly serve where you are when God gives you an opportunity to help somebody Help them then practice serving. Jesus came to serve. Jesus didn't come to be a rock star. Jesus didn't come to make a million dollars. Jesus came to serve and to give his life as a ransom, and he calls us to do the same. Prepare. As you seek the Lord, take every step that God leads you in preparation for a life that can be a blessing to him and to others. Obey. And then commit yourself to the one who's already committed himself to you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Worship team's coming up.
will you this morning <clears throat> surrender your heart and your life fully, as fully as you know how, to Jesus Christ and begin to ask him, God, what do you want to do in my life? You know what I found out? I found out that when I surrendered to the Lord after seeking him for several years and I was scared to death, I cannot imagine a life any better than the life he's given me. If I'd chosen my own way, I would never have known you folks. I would never have known the love of God through his people. God knows you. He made you. Will you give yourself to him and say, Lord, here am I. If you don't know Christ and you want to know about, more about him, Brother Dave's going to be at the front. If you are comfortable and need to talk with him, he'll be there. But if, if God's speaking to you, I just want to encourage you. If you'll just, you know, just come and get here at this altar and talk to the Lord and just say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours, if that's what God's doing. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for Jeremiah. Thank you for how you used these truths in my life. And I pray, oh God, you'll use them in the lives of those who are here today as we seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Would you begin to sing with the praise team? And would you respond to what God is saying to you?
and thank you for being here today. Thank you for being who you are. God made you to be you. Didn't make you to be me or anyone else. Isn't that liberating? Because that's who you are. Love the Lord with all your heart and serve and love your neighbors yourself, and God will do good things in our lives. Thank you for being here. I hope you have a great week. We're looking at the possibility of maybe opening up a Wednesday evening, no children activities, just, just prayer. Um, and I'm going to hold off this week. We're going to talk about it some more this week. I want to see where these numbers are. My perception is the numbers are, COVID numbers are going up fast. Uh, but you don't have to be here to pray. Amen. Let's be praying, people, and we are. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Let's be dismissed. God, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you that you don't just choose superstars. In fact, you, your word says you, that's the exception, that you choose ordinary people, people that the world looks at and says they're nobody, young people inexperienced people and then you show your glory through their lives and I ask you Lord that you would sovereignly touch our young people and our older people and our folks because we're not just our folks we're your folks touch us speak to us open our ears to hear your plan and lay your hand on our lives and use us in a thousand different ways to glorify Christ in his name we pray amen